from Hong Kong, Chicago and the city of Stoke-on-Trent. This is the Classic Lenses Podcast. Hello and welcome to episode 119. My name is Simon Forster and I'm joined by Johnny Sisson and Perry G. Hello, Johnny. Hello. And hello, Perry. Hello. Good to see you. Well, I was going to say, good to see you both, but uh, I can see Perry. I can't see see Johnny because we've, we're, we're not doing stuff over video this week. Um, after uh, um, I managed not to uh, put that show out from a couple of weeks ago because I absolutely... I video it's just bad news isn't it let's face let's just stick to stick to words I think it's it's the way forward Um, so uh, on that note I'm gonna head straight over to Hong Kong Perry oh we're starting over here all right Um, the number one a little bit of a weather report we have a typhoon coming uh, and I just got home a little while ago right when the winds and rain started blowing so outside my window, I can see the trees doing the whole tropical cyclone swing. Um, that aside, yeah, the my my uh, Google Meets or whatever we're using defaults to have the camera on. And I thought I would just keep it on because I have a bunch of stuff to show you guys. Um, because, you know, in, in Hong Kong, you, despite all the kind of crackdown we have from uh, China over the last few months, our sort of daily lives are um, de-coroned, so to speak, for the most part. I mean, everyone's wearing masks, but we really haven't been worried about coronavirus here for like, I don't know, a month or two, around two months now. Uh, and during that time, it turns out that I had a, about a quarter of a year's worth of pent-up gas uh, <laughs> just building up. And quite recently, the market seems to have bottomed out here and just like crazy deals have been appearing on lenses. Um, so I've been hoovering stuff up and I didn't realize until sort of before taking inventory before this show, just how many lenses uh, I've purchased over the last few, few months and, and played around with. So I'm going to show you guys a couple of things, but before that um, I have been shooting quite a bit. Uh, we finally had a bit of good weather here after about a month of nonstop rain. And I have been shooting mostly with uh, a recently acquired Zeiss ZM Biogon 21 2.8, which I got to say is one of the most enjoyable uh, ultra wide angle lenses I have ever used. It's um, I got it. I got it with a 21 25 Voigtlander finder, and just it's just beautiful. I mean, the, the tones and the sharpness and everything on that lens, it's fantastic. So I went, yeah. I was just going to say you've been killing it with those shots you've been posting the last last few days. Oh, thank you, thank you. Yeah, no, I've I've really, really been enjoying it. I went out shooting with um with Mike Epstein the other day, and I brought four lenses with me: a twenty-eight, a twenty-one, a forty, uh, and a ninety. And I took one shot with the twenty-eight millimeter, which I've been really enjoying lately. And then I switched to the twenty-one and never took it off. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, it's just it's a hell of a lot of fun. And I think recently, my my focal lengths have been getting wider and wider and wider. And the, there were times when I was shooting 21 where I actually thought, oh, I wish this lens were even a little bit wider uh, than 21. At no point did I wish that it were longer. So that, that was truly excellent. And that, that lens is like, it's just on the cusp of um, the being too big for a rangefinder. I think anything larger than that, or like the, Sumo, the 50 Sumolux is spherical, 
uh, it's off-putting to me. But that size or below, it's it's totally fine. And one thing that's really fun about that lens is it's it's just large enough, and and the the text is bright enough that when I'm using the external viewfinder, you can see at the bottom of the frame, just outside the frame lines, uh, the aperture like really really right. clearly. So it's super convenient. Yeah, I mean, tw- twenty-one mils great is is. is- fantastic focal length and uh um, and we talked about it uh, when I've, i mentioned about my trip up to scotland i think it must have been last yeah it was in november um and i took um a uh, contax g2 kit with me on on loan from uh, jeremy north and the lens that got the, well the two lenses that got used the most were the 28 and the 21 um, yeah and I, I i could have just left the 21 on there um it was just it was, uh, and that's a biogon as well. I think the, the actual mm-hmm. design. I think you were telling telling us before the design between the two lenses isn't isn't actually the same, is it? Is that is that right? No, they're they're similar, but they're not the same. Yeah, but I mean, certainly the 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 results from that Contax G biogon were just stunning. Um, I, I loved it, and but using a, a rangefinder with a uh, an external viewfinder. Um, and being a wide angle lens and so really your, your critical focus is is not really that much of an issue in fact you're probably trying to get most of the things in focus anyway so you're stopping down well in my case i was largely shooting at f8 or maybe a little bit smaller um, because you know i wasn't trying to do any kind of selective focus so it, it didn't yeah. matter about the fact that um, i was looking through an external viewfinder and with getting a, an approximation of the of the scene I was taking, rather than the exact scene, which is normally for me is what I which which is what I would want to have, and why I'm I'm a big fan of SLRs rather than rangefinders. But when you go wider, it just doesn't seem to matter anywhere near as much. Right, and the external finder, you know, the window is so clear um, that in many ways, it's almost like composing, looking more directly at reality in some way. Yeah. Uh, so I've been shooting that on uh, a couple of cameras, um, my M4 and also uh, this thing, uh, which I picked up to sort of replace my Konica Hexar RF while it's in the shop for repairs. Uh, so a good deal popped up on this Minolta CLE. And I know people like Animal Mystery are a huge fan of this camera. Um, and, I, and I have wanted one for a while. But uh, I mean, it's just lovely. I just don't have anything else that's aperture priority. And I think it's you know one of the best ways to shoot... Uh, 28 millimeters that that i've found so far so aside from the 21 millimeter uh, let's stay on the wide angle because um mr sisson over there uh in in one of our long threads on the uh the facebook group a couple of weeks ago he gassed me into picking up a lens um someone was asking a question about wide angles i can't remember and uh johnny mentioned this lens and one just happened to pick uh pop up on our local market for apparently much, much lower than they go for overseas. Oh, yeah. So this is a very small lens. It is a Rusar MP2, uh, 20 millimeter F5.6 in like pristine condition um, that I got for about half of its market price. Uh, this is the the original version, not the... Uh, Lomography version. It was made in 19... This one was made in 1994 uh, because, you know, Soviet lenses and their serial numbers are actually logical. Um, Unlike 
Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, right, Simon, do you want to explain what those serial numbers indicate? Well, first, I, I need to do a first correction first. 1994 was after the uh, Soviet Union ended, of course. Um, so, oh, right, right. Okay, uh, fair. So fair. I think in that case, it was. Pro I'm not sure what, what factory that one came out of. So I, I think we could probably call that a Russian lens. Um, I think I think this is KMZ, right? Yeah, it is. Yeah, so Kranskogor. So okay. that's that's a that's a Russian lens. Um, yeah. But yeah, the first two serial numbers of the. Certainly not all, but the, the vast majority of Soviet-era lenses and after the, uh, the, the end of the Soviet uh, Union era, um, the first two numbers uh, related to the, uh, uh, the second two numbers of the year. So 62 will be a 1962, for instance. Um, there's a bit of an anomaly over what happened in 1970, um, where I've never actually had this answered entirely correctly, but I think those... 1970s of the double O uh, lenses that, that are out there, um, but um, right, think, right. There's there is an element of doubt over that one, and, and I think it's because like certainly with uh, KMZ uh, back in the day, uh, they were I think they were actually later to adopt the uh, the serial uh, the the serial number system um, by date. Uh, than uh, than the other factories in the Soviet Union at the time, so uh, there's a little bit of crossover. Um, so you can't always get it, but generally speaking, that's that's what it means. Right. So so Simon, you've played with the new Lamography version of this, and Johnny, you've been gassing over this for a while, right? Yeah, <clears throat> most definitely. <laughs> so I, I bought it just because you you all, you kind of forced me to. You were like, "It's such a good price." Here's a bunch of memes telling you to get it. Um, <laughs> So I went for it, but why? Why is this lens so sort of appealing? Well, I mean, to me, I mean, it's just the, you know, the focal length, um, yeah. and the, the optical design is really unique. Mm -hmm. um, there just doesn't seem to be. It's just kind of a. It seems like it's it's basically a one off, right? I mean, there's not a lot yeah. of similar lenses to it. Um, yeah, so, the diagram is interesting. It looks like almost a Russian take on the, like, a topogon-biogon hybrid. Yeah. Because um, it's quite symmetrical, but it's definitely not a topogon. Uh, it's not a straight-up copy of that. And the rear element, as you can see here, it's just, it sticks out really, really far back. Um, and it's so light. This thing weighs, like, 60 or 70 grams. It's, it's, it's wow. feather light. So when I put it on my Leica 3F, it's almost pocketable. Yeah. yeah, it's great. But Simon, you weren't too enthralled with it when you tried it. Uh, no, although to 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 be fair, it was uh, I was, uh, I mean, I think it was about three years ago, and I was heavily into my my bokeh phase of my photography back then. Uh, and uh, let's face it, you, you're not going to get any bokeh out of that lens unless you put it on some kind of extension, and and then it would have to be about only a three millimeter extension, or else it'd be too much with it being such a wide yeah. angle lens. Um, yeah, that was when I. I also tried the uh, Jupiter Three Plus, uh, which was the uh, the modern take on the Jupiter Three, um, and I actually bought uh, my uh, Lomography new Petzval uh, Fifty Eight uh, at the same time. But having tried the, the Jupiter Three um, Plus, which I liked, but it it, it it was unsurprisingly very similar to uh, the Jupiter Threes that I'd already used and tried. Um, uh -huh. And I, I think I was expecting a bit more out of it for some reason. And then, about fifteen minutes later, I walked down to the to the Zeiss stand, and they let me try uh, a ZM 
uh, Sonar 51.4, uh, 1.5, <laughs> and that did exactly what I was hoping it was going to do. It was stunning. Yeah, yeah. I loved that lens, and I still do. And I've oh, forgotten how much I actually like that lens. Um, so uh, who knows? Well, one day, but uh, but no, the 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 the, the Russar didn't just. I wasn't really that much into the wide angle lenses at the time, really. <laughs> so I didn't didn't appreciate it at the time. Yeah, no, fair enough. I mean, I I can see why Lomography remade this lens because they're into kind of the weird looking stuff. Um, and I got to say this lens, you know, the center sharpness is, is very strong, as you would expect for a slower wide angle. Uh, but the edges really fall off like crazy, not in terms of necessarily vignetting, but just, you know, that Lomo look where it's yeah. almost pin, pinball-like. Um, yep. It absolutely has that look on the edges. But the tones are really beautiful in black and white. And then in color, if you shoot it uh, against the sun or against a light source, it has this really lovely-looking flare um, that I don't have... I haven't seen in, in many other lenses. So are you talking, yeah. are you talking on film here or on, on digital? Uh, flare on digital, uh, black and white tones on film. Yeah, I'm just thinking about the edge sharpness, though. Oh, uh, oh, not film. Oh, okay, that's that's interesting. Was, you, know, you just think that with it being, uh, you know, the real element being sunk back, that that that's obviously going to cause cause issues around the edges of a digital sensor um, that mm -hmm. shouldn't really happen uh, with film. But it sounds like it's doing it with film anyway. Oh, it absolutely is. I'll, I'll show you some samples. It's really obvious. Although to be fair, most of the the time I was shooting with this lens, I was shooting it wide open. Because it, it was on like a cloudy day. Wide open is f five point six, so who knows if you, you stop it down a little if, if that improves. I'm not sure. Hmm. I haven't actually tried it much more. But then I, the other thing, yeah. Sorry, I would. Yeah, no. I was just gonna say a, a reference point. Dan Goshen has that lens and has done some really nice stuff with it. Um, and his shots, I think, are, you know, the stuff I've seen is mostly stop down, and it looks it looks really really nice. Um, but I mean, I, you know, the, that was one of the things that interests me about that lens was the fall off. I really like fall off mm -hmm. on wide angle lenses because I don't really use them for landscape photography. Yeah, um, yeah. So I, I actually really like that's the, actually the thing I like about um, the uh, was it the Jupiter 12, right? Is that yeah, the 35? Mm -hmm. Jupiter 12 on digital. It's just made for you, isn't it, Johnny? Yeah, but even on even on even on film, I mean, that's the thing. I hate the lens construction, but I really like the look of that lens. And to me, the Rusar seemed like a similar, in a certain sense, it seemed like a similar rendering to that, just wider. Mm. So that was my interest in it. But I mean, I don't know the pictures that Dan Goshen has posted. You know, stop down bright sunlight look really, really, really good. So I think the yeah. performance is in there if you want to shoot it that way you know okay yeah I'll, I'll definitely give it a go on on a bright day i mean the way i was shooting it was uh, i had it at f5.6 hyperfocal at around two to three meters cool um and then everything was in focus oh i mean this thing has a ridiculously long focus throw like <laughs> there's about 90 degrees between 0 0.5 meters which is the minimum focus and one meter um, and then another 90 degrees between one meter and like two meters. And I don't, I don't know why you need that long a focus throw for a lens that you're scale focusing at 20 millimeters at 5.6, right? <laughs> you can literally just give it like this long a focus throw of 10 degrees from minimum to max and it would essentially yeah. have the same effect. It's just cool. 
because then <laughs> one of the things I was doing when I was shooting this is I know there were times because I was using an external viewfinder. I know there were times when I was just turning the focus ring for no reason and it didn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> uh, whereas I did that recently with a Biogon and I have one shot that would have been really, really nice, but it was at minimum focus distance because I was just messing around with the focus ring, but looking through an external finder um, and, and that's stupid. Don't do that. Yeah, I, I, I do that every once in a while when I I shoot the uh, the Voigtlander twenty one millimeter, um, which is my my go to. But I I get so used to it being essentially a focus free lens, I forget to focus it. And if for some reason it's not set to hyperfocal, my first three or four shots are out of focus, only yeah. because it's like turned entirely one way or the other. Um, I but I mean it's it's essentially a focus free lens, uh, so I I forget to set the focus the first time i pull it out of the bag sometimes yeah no i, I that's exactly what what's happened to me it's uh, i mean it's one of the drawbacks of the external viewfinder right you're using a range finder and you yeah. think that oh i'm just yeah. moving the focus tab and i'll know when it's in focus but right but then but then you know your brain just goes i should be moving this while i'm taking a picture right without any reference to what it's actually doing <laughs> Simon's probably sitting there going, rangefinders are stupid, guys. <laughs> well, yeah, well, they are, aren't they? <laughs> uh, so, uh, speaking of fall-off, speaking of fall-off, uh, here's another lens that I have acquired, which is tiny. Um, it's so freaking small. I didn't put this, like, against my glasses so you get a sense of scale. Um, this is an Avenon uh 28 millimeter f 3.5 ltm um which in the u.s i think was sold under the Kobolux brand and a couple of other like random brand names um i know roland banderov also has this lens mike epstein also has this lens doesn't it i comes, think doesn't robbie have it too i think right oh Is he does yeah. yeah 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 that's right so so mm-hmm. there's a few different flavors of it mostly in terms of the shape of this focus tab um some of them they're like a, a little stick we'll talk about in a bit some are this some have wings you know i don't know why um well red bill (laughs) so i don't know if either of you've tried this lens uh but but i i know mike epstein pretty much hates it with a burning passion and i have (laughs) i have extremely mixed feelings about it Uh, (laughs) that that seems to be the consensus on that lens everyone i've talked to has mixed feelings about it yeah i mean on paper, it's wonderful because it's tiny, it's light, it, it's got a nice focus ring. Um, but I, I think this lens is kind of crap because uh, as far as as far as fall off goes, you know, it, it works kind of well on a Sony because the rear element doesn't stick out that much. But the fall off, it's it's kind of um, it's a topogon design derivative. But the fall off is so bad, wide open at least, it, it never gets better. Even at f at f eight, it's got absurd vignetting. Um, but it's so bad that it looks like the lens was designed for a smaller format. You know, it looks like it was designed for half frame or something. Um, and it just happens to cover full frame. So some people are into that look, but I think, you know, to me, there's a difference between pleasant vignetting and what this lens looks like where kind of the, the the middle is, you know, sharp and, and poppy and it's got a nice coating. And then it just, it's just dark you know, super dark towards the edges. So I, I really want to like this lens, but, and the, this one's in like pristine condition, but uh, 
I, I don't think I like it, guys. Yeah. Um, it's it's not a lens that up until you you shared a picture of it the other day I I, I had no knowledge of what whatsoever I was actually quite surprised that anybody would make um, you know of these like no name brands for uh, for LTM that, that was that was as much of a shock as anything. Yeah, they they make two. There's the twenty eight three point five and there's the twenty one millimeter f two point eight, um, which is much larger and the the. I think the neatest things about these lenses is they come with these enormous external viewfinders um, that are pretty much bigger than the lens itself. Uh, so, you know, get it for the viewfinder, but I, I don't know if I would recommend. So are they, are they modern? I mean, it looks modern. I mean, is it effectively a new lens or is it from another era? I, I don't know when they were made. Um, it looks and feels like it was made maybe in the 90s or something mm -hmm. um, or no later than the late 80s. So it does look relatively new-ish. Yeah. yeah. Um, and again, I know that you can find them under different brands. Co they, they say that it's sold as Cobalux in the U.S., but I've only ever seen Avanon branded ones. Um, and then the, the 21 is this ugly silver color, so uh, don't get that. Uh, Johnny, has Robbie told you his feelings about that lens? Um, <clears throat> he, you know, he, <clears throat> I don't think he's used it a ton. Um, I know he, he mentioned he was thinking about maybe getting a different wide like a 20 and different 28 um mm -hmm. uh but i think he he ended up not doing that I, I don't know he hasn't i just i don't think he shoots it super frequently yeah it's understandable it's it's really not a lens for shooting yeah uh, it's, it, uh, it's so frustrating they could have you know if they if they did this well it would have been wonderful but so let's move on to a better lens um <laughs> So no more rangefinder lenses for the moment, so Simon doesn't shoot himself. Uh, one one of the things that um, happened when when Mike and I were walking around the other day was we stumbled upon this tiny little random shop in an industrial air, area, sort of a, an area of Hong Kong called Taikok Choi, which basically is car repair shops everywhere. You know, it's auto repair, and there was this tiny little shop that sold film and film cameras. Uh, and it looked like the owner had just been there for decades and just couldn't be bothered to retire. Um, so we went in and they had a bunch of stuff and, and he had um, a broken Konica. I guess it is a rangefinder, but you know, we'll talk about the lens. He had a broken Konica auto S 1.6, uh, which he was selling for basically like 10 bucks. Um, the lens was pristine and everything about this camera is actually in pretty good condition and works pretty well, uh, except for the shutter. Um, the shutter was completely jammed and would not cock. So I decided, well, screw it. This looks like a cool, I mean, it's a 45 millimeter F1.6 Hexanon. Uh, so I decided I was going to take it home and first try to fix the camera. And if I couldn't do that, then I would rip the lens off and uh, go to Little Garden and adapt it onto my Sony. Um so that's what I ended up doing because the shutter, you know, I took the, the lens off and it's really easy to remove the lens, but then there's a few little cables that attach it to the metering system. And before I cut the cables, I tried to sort of open it up and nothing about the shutter mechanism worked. There's a little spindle uh, that cocks the shutter when you wind the advance lever. And that spindle just was basically broken off of the inside of the lens and it wouldn't engage the winding mechanism. 
so then when I opened it up, I decided, okay, I'm going to remove the shutter blades and, and use it as a mirrorless lens. And as soon as I opened it up, the shutter blades, they wouldn't move. And then they just suddenly flew out and they flew everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I thought that was going to be a really, you know, delicate and annoying job to remove the shutter blades, but that was easy. And it, it turned out that, you know, all the shutter blades were in place. And then there were two more pieces of shutter blade, like extra pieces that were broken off. Um, I don't know if you guys have ever played with shutter blades, but, you know, in a leaf shutter, it's kind of got the the main bit in the middle of the lens. And then mm -hmm. there's the little extra tiny bit with the hole that then goes onto the part where it moves. Right. And each blade is kind of resting in a separate hole around the, yeah. around the yeah. glass. So there were like two extra little pieces with that hole just sitting in between the shutter blades. So I don't know if someone had I, been in there and just did something stupid, um, but it was bizarre. That actually, that sounds like that's the actual shutter. <clears throat> like the blades are, you know, like a leaf shutter lens. It's got the it's got the shutter itself, and then it has the aperture. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. hold on. Give me one second. I can actually show you this because it's it's bizarre. <laughs> um, I have them in a film container. Okay. So, like I said, the shutter was totally jammed, right? Um, and when I opened it up. A normal shutter blade looks like this, right? Yeah. So all of these shutter blades were in place, uh, and there were like five of them, and they, they were not moving. They were totally jammed in place. And then after they flew out, two extra pieces uh, flew out with them. And those two extra pieces look like this, which is basically like the end of the shutter blade. Oh. Right? Like this end of it the looks... shutter blade broken off. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So but maybe, all... yeah, uh, maybe maybe the maybe the rest of the blades are had already disappeared somewhere. You know what I mean? But, but all of the blades were intact. It looked oh, like okay. everything was there, and then there were two extra of huh. this. So I have no idea what what was going on there. Pe Perry, I think we've established. Yeah. The, 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 the camera was broken and that's why you took the lens off it. You didn't break the camera, the camera was already broken and it's absolutely okay. fine for you to adapt it to something else and, and go and put a light bulb in the in the camera. Everything's fine, okay. don't worry about it. Okay, good, good. Simon, you totally saw through my intention there because I feel guilty, right? Because the, ra the rangefinder patch is clear, the focus moves, everything is, the meter moves, everything's kind of working. You're protesting Just, too the... much, Perry, stop it. Okay, okay. I feel bad, you know, because it's like it could have been a good camera. Um, although I don't know, it, Johnny, you have one of these, right? Is it actually good as a user? Um, is that an S two? You said uh, it's an S one point six, but it's basically the same camera oh, with a faster, thing. faster lens. It's um, the one I have is even less inspiring than that one. So the broken one. Yeah. So I, yeah, no, I'm sorry, that's not the one I have. That's the Konica. I have the. Um, uh, no, I guess it is a Konica, isn't it? Uh, I have the S2, which is a yeah. sim similar camera with like a 1.8 or a 1.4. Yeah, 1.8 lens. And it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's a great camera. It's just thoroughly uninspiring. <laughs> it's, yeah. it, it's, to me, it's, um, <clears throat> I, it's kind of the, well, it's, it's, 
far less inspiring than the uh, the Canon fixed lens rangefinders, but it's the same. I have the same problem with all of them. They're just really boring. Right. I was going to say that it, it, it's almost like an unnecessarily large Canonette. Yeah, right. It's ex- exactly. I mean, it's like the older, it's like the uh, larger versions of the Canonettes, not the small yeah. ones. It's, it's hefty like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Um, yeah. and, and it's, but the focus, the focus mechanism is really smooth on this one, the helicoid. Yeah. Um, so it's a shame, although it does feel like the, it, you could just pull it off cause it's so loose. Yeah. Um, but I, I think this is a camera that, you know, if it were the same price and working, I would enjoy having it, but it's not one that I would ever go and proactively shoot because it's unnecessarily large. So let's talk about yeah, the lens. They're, yeah, they're I was just say, they're, the, the yeah. eulogy's over now. Come on. <laughs> okay, okay. Camera's dead. Camera's dead. Um, this lens is sweet. Uh, it, the F1.6 the F version is quite, like, it's relatively um, less common than the S2. Uh, but, I mean... It's really nice, guys. It's a it's fast lens for like ten bucks. I'm quite happy. Yeah, with this. yeah, yeah. That's that's cool. So I I got it onto a helicoid, um, and it's basically uh, attached with blue tack to a 52 millimeter to 58 millimeter conversion ring, uh, which I then have s- screwed into a 58 to uh, M42 helicoid on my Sony. Nice. And it's you know it's very sharp, wide open, surprisingly, uh, and it's um, got nice bokeh in color, really nice colors, really, really, really nice colors. Um, and then because it's it's the 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 entire front of the lens is like an aperture control, um, oh. so it handles pretty well. Oh, cool! Well, that's like a Helios one hundred and three. Uh, the main the main ring on the Helios one hundred and three controls the aperture. Uh, mm-hmm. Because uh, well, it doesn't even have a helicoid in in the lens itself. It's uh, because it's from a Kiev camera. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, first time people pick one of those things up, they they try to focus it with the aperture ring effectively, which is you know sort of what you were doing there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, although it's it, it's it's harder to make that mistake with this because you're kind of turning the entire lens rather than the ring on the front, which which feels like a focus ring. Yeah. Uh, on the Helios 103. But Mike Novak was telling me that this is the first camera that he took apart. Um, so it seems like, theoretically, if you got the shutter working, you could reattach it to the camera I'm just wondering and if, use it. I'm just wondering if that was the exact camera that Mike actually uh, worked on, and that's why the shutter doesn't work anymore. <laughs> no, he still got his. His was an S2. Um, Sorry, Mike. Where <laughs> I think he succeeded. I think he actually succeeded in fixing it because it is one of the easiest disassembly jobs. So I think as far as, like, harvesting a camera for its lens goes um this is definitely the most straightforward uh one that i've done right the only tricky part was getting it onto a finding a way to get it onto a helicoid because it's like you know there's no there's no natural way to thread it like there's a um the retaining ring is behind the rear element of the lens so someone in the group told me that you can put a 25 millimeter to m42 uh thread back there but then you have to remove the pin um, that that triggers the shutter because it gets in the way. There we go. Okay, I still have more, but not too many more. Um, the The next thing I want to talk about is not so much this lens, but this is the part we've been waiting for. We're going to talk about the knob, uh, the stick. So this is a this is a Voigtlander twenty eight millimeter f three point five color Scopar uh, LTM version. Um, and when I was out with Mike, he, he's been posting some pictures with a few of his newer Voigtlander lenses, uh, the 35 F2 Ultron and the new 21 3.5 Scopar. 
And th those lenses plus the LTM classic versions of the 21 color scope R and the 35 color scope R all have this delightful little metal stick or this delightful little knob uh, on the bottom as your focusing tab. So when I first saw this, I, I was super skeptical, especially because they put it on their newer lenses, the 21 and 35, uh, the Ultron and the Scope R. And, but then, you know, when I picked up this lens and I, I actually felt it, like, the knob is wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, my snapshot Scope R has the same tab as well. It's the same body design. So they've used that same body design for, what, four focal length lenses? So it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, I mean, to me, which I, I think is brilliant from a design standpoint. I mean, you've essentially have the same lens body design for multiple lenses in your catalog, which yeah. seems really logical and in, intuitive and a smart way to do things. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's one of the things I like the most about all of those lenses. I mean, I, I don't have all of them. I don't have the 35, but I have the, uh, 21 and the, and the 25, the snapshots of scope are, um, mm -hmm. and I like that tab design better than that funky tab on the modern Leica lenses. And even some mm -hmm. of the Voigtlanders that copy the Leica lenses where it's that U shaped yeah. finger. I mean, it, that it's so simple and it's just like simple, effective design. <laughs> and it's really all you need for, I would gladly have that little focus tab on any rangefinder lens that I have versus any of the other kind of styles that are out there. It's just really simple and effective. I mean, it, it's wonderful. And the best thing about the knob is, um, <laughs> Simon, uh, the, the best thing about the knob is like, no matter where you put your finger or no matter what angle you, you yeah. kind of touch it. Yeah. Um, it's perfect. Right. 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 Whereas, whereas if, if it's an infinity lock tab, you have to press down on the front. Um, sure. And then once you get past, like, I don't know, two meters, you have to change the angle of your finger to get in the close distance range. Right. Uh, the U-shape, sometimes your finger is inside the U, sometimes it's on the outside. It's depending totally on annoying, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I quite like it, but it just it requires two different motions depending on where in the focus throw you are. Yeah. Um, but this is, it's just, it's, I, it, I agree with you. I think it might be the most comfortable focus tab that I've used because you can press the knob, you can, you know, stroke the side of the knob, um, you can oh. slide the knob back and forth. Knob stroker! Oh, it's so nice, man. Can you remove the knob? It looks like you can screw it out. Yeah, you know what? I've tried I've I've tried it and it I I mine don't budge. Okay. So I've never I tried to remove my knob either. Yeah, I don't I don't I don't know if the if the knob is removable. So interestingly I'm just going to point this out for Simon's benefit at this point. Um, interestingly, the knob on my snapshot Scopar is flat on the end and has no knurling on it. But the really? knob on my 21 has uh, – it's a knurled metal knob. So it's got you know lines on it like a focus ring. Um, and it's kind of rounded at the bottom of the tab. So uh – -huh. I, I think like the snapshot Scopar version of the tab, it's just kind of the, maybe the budget or the more modern sleek style tab. So is, is, is it like this? 
as I'm sure. Yeah, sure. The, so the 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 one on my the 21 is just like that. Well, hold on, I can yeah. turn the camera on. Yeah, especially since nobody will be able to see it because we're not doing video. So I've spent a lot of time showing this on the camera. Um, yeah, there you go. Uh, so I don't know if you can see this. That's the my bottom little, of the camera. Wait, my little window is my little video window. Oh, just click oh, on okay. yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I did. So um, here we go. So there's the tab on the 25. Oh, yeah, okay. See how it's flatter and it's it's – yeah. Right, and it's smooth right there. Yeah, 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 and it's more kind of bulbous at the end. Yeah, exactly. Versus the twenty-one, which is knurled and rounded at the end. Yeah, that looks pretty much the same as the one on the twenty. I think right, and I think it's the same on the thirty-five also. So it's like that they they actually, I guess I don't know if they refined it or improved it for the twenty-five. I think they probably it the twenty-five to me is just a pure kind of budget lens the snapshots scope are so mm-hmm. i would think maybe they you know the more simplified version of it or something but anyway i like them both yeah the knob the knob is wonderful oh so spe- speaking of the 25 that's where it oh lives. hey it's on this that's a zorky 4k yeah that's where it lives oh dude you know how that that voigtlander plastic finder you've got on there kind of looks like you know it was ripped off some kind of amphibian yeah, um, the both both Mike and I he's been buying lenses like crazy too, um, but we both got the twenty one twenty five Voigtlander finder recently. That finder is fucking awesome, and I want <laughs> one. And I've been trying to find one for like five fucking years, and it's I don't have it. So good, I know, it's, man. I, it's but, so here's the here's the dedicated thirty five finder, right? Yeah. It looks just like that. Yeah. Right, except yeah. it's got the two sets of frame lines, and they're just a little bit offset from each other. Right? Yeah, it's beautiful, um, yeah. and it's perfectly usable with glasses. Yeah. So I I got mine um, brand new from a Voigtlander dealer. It was the last one they had. Oh. Um, they're like it's discontinued at the back of their shelf. And yeah. then Mike Mike tried it, and he has the Zeiss Finder, but he, he was kind of enamored by this one. And then lo and behold, a day after he tried it, and was like gassing over this Finder. Some dude locally uh, listed a 21 Scopar um, with that finder for nice. less than what the price of just that lens goes normally. That's crazy. <laughs> so Mike just basically bought that and flipped the lens and got the finder for free. You know, it's got a little bit of brassy. It's such a nice finder. Yeah, it's worth it. I, I actually like on the Zorky, I like the plastic finder. I feel, I feel like on the Zorky, this is like, the best looking one of the best looking yeah. camera lens combos of any camera I own. Um, it's, it to- it's it, dorky. It, on yeah, dorky. it totally works. It looks super like sci-fi almost. Um, whereas opposed to this, I mean that Voigtlander Metal Finder works yeah. on any classic camera. It looks. I mean, it looks like. I mean, the, the, the Canon, there's a Canon finder. I have the Canon 35 mm-hmm. finder. That's almost the identical design to this. But the Voilanders, I have both as well. The Voilanders is way better in terms oh, of... Oh, way better. It's got frame lines. I mean, the, yeah. the Canon doesn't have frame... So, um, yeah, it's just like one of those things. It, it's just like a perfectly designed piece of equipment. It's simple and perfect. And I feel like they did the same thing with this lens design. Like, it's, mm-hmm. it's actually, I find this lens designed to be kind of ugly um but it's just so 
perfectly uh, form following function. You know what I mean? It's just, it, it's, it's simple and it's kind of perfectly effective. Exactly. So, well, while we're sitting here stroking our knobs, uh, Simon yeah, we're not stroking. He, Simon yeah. has just appeared in black and white with beautiful bokeh. Yeah. Whoa. I, I, so, I just I just thought I'd just do something useful. I, let me just I get, let me, I gotta go get a Kleenex and clean my screen off. Si after Simon, all you're that. you're muted. I saw your mouth moving. Oh. But no sound came out. Yeah. Well, I I I just just thought I'd do something constructive while you two just go on and on about rangefinder tabs and oh, <laughs> are, are we done Dude. with that yet or is, or is there more so, final point final point the, the reason why i got that 21 millimeter voilander finder is i used to have the lights one well i still have it but the lights plastic finder it sticks out about a centimeter behind the back of the camera which is really annoying when you're sliding into a bag but then the voilander is like perfectly flush um with the back of the camera so that makes it far more desirable. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Simon. Simon, what lens are you using to film yourself? It looks really good. Uh, it, well, it's it's obvious what I'm using if I look good. Here we are. Exactly. Okay, yeah. It, it, it's it's my webcam. My uh, Asahi Kagok. Oh, I can never say it. <laughs> oh my god! I must you... say the first bit right. <laughs> I usually fall, fall over, and I, I I stumble on the second one. Kogaku. It's like a, that sounds about right, doesn't it? Um, close enough, close enough. And then, and then, and then Takamo, um, got that right. Uh, 58 millimeter, 2.4, and I think I'm wide open at the moment as well. So, uh, so that's perfect. What, what, what more could you want? And, and in glorious black and white, um, thanks to uh, some inspiration by uh, Fraser Yule, who um, we did a uh, we've had a few zoom meetings for the uh, six times darkroom and uh, fraser is a uh, an honorary member of that having visited once on his way down from scotland once and uh, i i'd got this setup working and uh, he was he was impressed by it and he's got a sony as well so i explained to him how how to do it and uh, because it's all free uh, which is which is the best way and um and yeah so he, he he did it he ran with it and then came next time he did it he came back in black and white which is just so cool so um so so i mean in fact actually when i set this up for black and white a few days ago i then went i switched it on to do something else with it and i appeared on the screen in front of myself in black and white i was thinking whoa, whoa you know it's like like scared me um because i'd forgotten what i had done there but it's it's just really cool seeing webcam in black and white what can you say yeah, it looks it looks so much better than what's coming through our our cameras and screens. Um, okay, so let's let's stop talking about rangefinder tabs and and knobs and and move no on no that that's okay we can continue. <laughs> well, that's all I got to say about that. No, but for people who are interested in the new Voigtlanders, the Ultron thirty five f two and the uh, twenty one millimeter uh, three point five. You know, they're designed to work a little bit better on digital. And, you know, Mike has confirmed that they don't have the kind of weird edges on digital. The number one concern I've heard people express about those two lenses is, like, will I like the knob? Um, you will. You will, yeah. you, will love, you will love the knob. You will slob all over that knob. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Moving on. Uh, the, I just want to point out, for the record... That Mr. Gandhi at CameraQuest has the 2125 Finder still in stock. So ah. any, anyone who's now gassing for a little slob on the knob, you might want to head over to 
Mr. Gandhi's site and pick one of these up, which I've come dangerously close to doing in the past, but I've just never been able to justify it because I have both the 21 and the 25 finders, the plastic ones separate. Mm. It, it would just purely because it looks so fucking cool. Yeah. And it would look better on the cam- on certain cameras is the only reason I want that finder. Um, I don't need it. I just really, 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 really want it. But I can't, you know, I just can't bring myself to do it. But it, other it, people should. It makes a difference, dude. When I it put, um, depending on which viewfinder I put on the camera, my enjoyment of the camera changes dramatically. Ex- I, you know. 100%, man. That's, but, that's, that's how I feel about it, too. The tiny little uh, Voigtlander 2835 combined finder, when that's on my black paint 3F, it just like, I will, I will shoot that all day. Yeah. Know? But if you put that finder on like an M4, it looks stupid. Right. No. Right, right. Okay. Uh, but <laughs> for Simon's sake, uh, the, the other thing I went out shooting with, um, which also kind of sparked a, uh, an interesting conversation with Nick Lyle um, about pairing films with uh, certain lenses. Um, was I finally went out and I shot with this thing, a Topcon RE Super, or the uh, Super D, as it's known in the West, uh, which I think is a far, far better name. And I shot this with uh, my 17-blade 58 F2 Biotar. <laughs> nice. Um, loaded with Fuji Superior Extra 400 on a really bright, sunny day. Normally, I hate that film because it's super green and like weird-looking. Uh, but the results on this lens on on that day came out really well. And according to Mike Novak, he, he says sort of back in back in the day, maybe when I was still a fetus, um, the general consensus was you'd use sort of Fuji superior films for like foliage and blue skies and yeah. then Kodak yeah. films for like skin tones and warmer stuff, which right. I think still holds true today. You know, Ektar and most Kodak films are significantly warmer and less green. Uh, than the Fujis, but it's you know using this lens was the first time I, I got results from Superior Extra that I actually liked. And in addition to that, I gotta say, apart from the fact that I, it's impossible to focus, um, this is the most enjoyable SLR uh, <laughs> I've, I've ever shot. And I'm now looking for a because fo- I know they made like a four or five different focus screens for it. I'm yeah. trying to figure out if there's one focus screen that's just like pure ground glass, like a Spotmatic, you know. Uh, I'm, you know what? I'm pretty sure there is. You just have to find probably an old, uh, instruction book. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I'm sure there is. It's just, I don't know which one it is. Has. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure they're out there. Cause I know we've, it's, we've, we had in a drawer at central, we had some focus screens for those at one point. So, yeah. So you both have this camera, right? I, I used to, I, I had one. Um, RE, an RE Super, um, yeah, with the fifty-eight one point four on it as well, mm-hmm. and I shot a couple of rolls through it, and I just didn't, I, I didn't enjoy the experience. Um, I really disliked the ergonomics of the camera. It was just way too square. It was a camera mm-hmm. to me that uh, just looked better than it actually operated. That was that was my take on it. But the other side of it is now, now that I've got this. Um, exact amount uh zeiss 75 1.5 um I, I really need uh, a, a top cone camera back in my life again um so uh, yeah. i am on the lookout but i, I want to i'm i'm 
I forget which which ones they are now, but I've got eBay searches running on the the, the last of the line of them um, with with the uh, with the exact amount uh, because you know having tried the RE Super um, and not like that, well it seems to make sense to try something that's later. They might not be actually technically viewed as being as good a camera, um, but yeah, at the end of the day, if if I just prefer it, it doesn't actually matter if it's technically not as good as long as it works and I'm happier using it. That's my train of thought. Yeah. Did they were the um did they make exact amount top cons after the RE Super before they switched to their weird like proprietary uh, now? Yeah, well, the, well yeah, but yeah. So the RE Super was 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 an early one, wasn't it? That, that, that they made like later iterations of the Super D, right? Yeah, yeah. But are they are they significantly different? Um, it's a while the, since I've looked at them. To be honest, do you know? Do you know, Johnny? I no, I think it, they're basically the same. I was going to say it's the earlier ones that are different. I would act if I was going to buy a Topcon, I would actually look at the pre uh, RE uh, models, and I'm looking for the name of that one right now. But I I had that one on my list for quite a while that i just wanted to get and try out um oh what is that one i'm trying to remember the shit the model name for those but they're not as um bulky uh, is it the r3 they're not as bu they're not quite as bulky as yeah. the um re supers and they 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 don't screw around they don't have meters or anything which is to me is perfectly fine um that's, uh, that's one of the compromises with the re super isn't it because you, you've got the way that it's metered i mean it was well the metering is awesome it's the metering is 10 <laughs> cool. years ahead of what nikon did in their in their slr so it it it, it has a 10-year advantage on in-body metering ahead of nikon yeah. I mean, which came I mean, out of the same era so look at that! Look, look at how cool that is. I don't know if you can yeah. see it. And the metering, it works. I mean, yeah. it's the, the they're great metering cameras. Yeah, um, but, but the thing is, though, that that metering and uh, what what uh, Perry has just uh, shown, which nobody can see, is uh, um, a close up of the <laughs> of the mirror. And in in the mirror, there's there's like a, a hatching pattern, and uh, <laughs> that hatching pattern is where the uh, what whatever it is that the the, the for want of a better word the sensor um of uh the, for, for the camera it's it's built into the mirror and that right. robs light it, uh, do, it it really doesn't That's, it, really it really does does. no it really doesn't it really um, does it really it actually doesn't um <laughs> it actually does <laughs> no, no it doesn't I've, 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 I've read it i've read it on the internet no, you've read it, but you does. haven't compared it it's it really doesn't steal yeah much light at all it's just it's an older well, viewfinder well, there you go you just you just admitted it it does it does steal some light no but no you would you, you, <laughs> it's okay, okay. not it's not anything noticeable is my point it's it's it to, that is not a reason to to, to not use <laughs> that camera it it's it's that it's probably in the single digit percentages it's not as much light as like the pen ft metering steals it's nowhere oh, yeah. near that much That's so true. Yeah, so it's it's you're talking fractional, super fractional. Um, so, but I mean that's why I say if the older, the older models, 
they don't have the metering at all. And you get a slightly smaller body with a slightly more traditional uh, ergonomics to it. It might actually be worth looking at because mm-hmm. um, they're, they just, I think they handle a little bit differently. So that would be like the Topcon R. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that said though, I, I think, you know, the, the light loss is probably there technically, but in use during the daytime, it didn't, I didn't notice it at all. Right. Um, right. The thing that does uh, that is a little bit quirky is if you're if you're using this at night, like I'm in a relatively dim, you know, room right now because it's nighttime. Is if I look to the viewfinder, it's actually it's perfectly bright, but the meter is is like twice as bright as the yeah. viewfinder, right? Um, because all of that sort of artificial light is getting sucked through and then illuminating the meter. So that's annoying, and that doesn't happen there during the daytime. But the thing that does happen because of the dimness is um, if you're using a non-auto lens like this Biotar, then when you stop down beyond like 5.6 or f8, then the split prism in the middle, um, it goes black. And that's really the harder thing about using it, which is why I think my issue with it right now is the focus screen and not the actual brightness of the viewfinder. So I think it might be focus screen number two or something, that is basically all ground glass. But if anyone out there knows which number yeah. focus screen is as close to the sort of default focus screen in the Spotmatic as possible, um, that's sort of what I would like. So not not like Fresnel lens glass all the way around, but as much ground glass as possible around the middle. And then no split range finder in the middle because I hate those things. Yeah. Um, and I mean, I'll, 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 um, at some point, I'll... Basically, all split prisms are going to do that, except with yeah. really fast lenses. I mean, that's just inherent. That's what happens when you try to basically turn an SLR into a rangefinder. Yeah. I mean, that's just the downside, you know? Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But on this camera, the other two things that I think really um, just heighten my enjoyment of it are this advanced lever is like the nicest I've felt on any SLR. It's yeah, it's, it's crazy freaking smooth. It's so smooth. I mean, it's it, it's as good if not better than my M3. Yeah. And then, you know, the the rewind. It was the first roll of film I shot, and the rewinding experience on this camera is the most satisfying rewind experience because when you when you turn the rewind dial, right? Um, Simon, quit smirking. Uh, this stuff is important. When you, when you turn the rewind dial, uh, number one, it automatically comes up. Right. right. So it's such a nice touch because as you turn it, it goes from down uh, to up like that. And then it's yeah, it's it's super smooth and it stays up like you can't press it down un- until you get it at like a closed angle. And I love little touches like that. The uh, the Alpa cameras um, also have that where like the rewind dial is sort of pops up and slides to the side as you take it up. And little mechanical touches like that make me so happy. And I think this camera just has it in spades. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. I, 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 I'm going to sell mine at some point. Cause I mean, I'm just, I just not going to use it, but I, it's, it's just such a nice, uh, design wise. It's just su- such a nice camera to use. Yeah. I, I think the only SLR I, I enjoy using more than this one is the Spotmatic. Um, yeah. maybe the contacts S2. Um, but I, but I think, it, you know, if I had to dump all my SLRs, you know, the Nikons and Olympus and stuff would go without hesitation, but I would keep this in the Spotmatic, I think, because they're, they're the Spotmatic is the most practical, but this is just such a joy to use. It's awesome. 
I'll be interested to know if was, I, I don't know if I was dreaming it, but I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that I saw a okay, not not truly modern, but say something from the seventies or maybe later um, SLR camera um, that had the exact amount on it. Uh, you know, could have been almost like a casino or something like that. If, yeah, if uh, yeah, no, you're totally right because there. Um it was somebody like that who did they still were put out an exact amount camera in the 70s which is bonkers but it, it no it that, that is true and i'm trying to remember who who it was that did that um but yes that that is that is that definitely did happen it's not an urban legend yeah some cra some crazy camera company decided to still put out an exact slr mount body in like 1975 well if, if any if any listeners know what that camera is um, please uh, please let us know uh, because yeah, it might be interesting need, one of those we need Mike Ekman on to yeah yeah clarify um uh, I just uh, someone will, someone will comment right away yeah i'm just looking at in the manual here for the focus screens perry um, cuz i'm i'm positive you can get uh, that focus screen. Yeah, I, I think having looked at, I, I think I found a list at some point. I think it's number two that I want. Yeah, um, but, but I'm not totally sure. But on on the the final topic, um, you know, Nick Lyle has been talking about pairing films with lenses, and we've talked about this a little bit, right? Oh, it's the number two. Sorry, I'm looking number at it two? right now. Yeah, okay. there's uh one, two, three, four. Four, five, six. I think the ones after seven. four are really specialized. Yeah, they're for um, like copy work like, and stuff. Yeah, so copy there's like, and microscopes. Yeah, there's like seven different screens. So no, number number two is a ground glass with the kind of center bubble, which is, yeah. as we know, the best and ultimate mm. focusing screen for all SLRs. Yeah, that, that, as we have discussed on this program previously. Exactly. That that's the one I want because it's the only one I can actually use. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll go look for one of those. I've I've just nipped onto uh, Camerapedia. Is it Camerapedia? Yeah, Camerapedia, and um, and there are some made in Japan, uh, uh, Exacta branded uh, cameras. Um, so uh, you got the TL five hundred, TL thousand, FE two thousand. Sounds oh sound. the the oh no, those are. That sounds. I awesome. mean, an FE two thousand. That 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 sounds like oh, it's as good as a, as a Nikon FE with a two thousand shutter. Surely. But I had um, I had one of the Exacta RTL one thousands. I gave I gave it to Mike. Ekman, because I just didn't even want to know that it existed anymore. Um, and I wanted it out of my house. Like, I wanted it out of my house like a rapist. It was like, like or, or like the child of like a rape baby. Like, I, just get it away from me. Like, like Rosemary's baby. It can't, that camera is Rosemary's baby. And even if you're a mother and you see it for that moment and you think, oh, but it's still my baby. It's still fucking Satan. And you and you just don't want it around. So yeah, the RL one thousand is an absolute disaster of a camera. Um, and I think Mike Ekman might have actually got it working because I, I mean I couldn't get it to do anything. But it is like 
the shittiest piece of garbage that probably was ever had a lens mount put on it. You know those cameras that uh, they put that say say like Canon or Olympus on them? Those are better than the RL1000. I would rather shoot with one of those than the RL1000. Well, I found found the FE2000. And it's dis- okay. It's it's disappointed in many respects. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's basically a practica, uh, yeah. But made in Japan, it looks like. But uh, but it's it doesn't go to a thousand uh, to two thousand on the shutter, and it's not a Nikon FE, and it, it doesn't look like an exact amount. No, it's just got an M forty two screw mount on it. So. I, I, <laughs> I, I, I yeah. think I think um, it just says exactor on it, and I've been led down the wrong path. Yeah, uh, they were those are basically exactors that were yeah they're not made in Germany. They were um, kind of post meltdown exacta exacta cameras when yeah you know you could still put the brand name on something and it would seem like it meant something to have that brand name on there. Um, but they're an unmitigated disaster. All those things. So yeah, anything, any any camera that was released with an exact amount after 1970 is going to be complete and utter garbage. <laughs> I'm just just looking up this uh, RTL 1000 that you've just been uh, um, doing a really good job of selling to me, and, uh, <laughs> and yeah, there's one here at twenty pounds. Produced from 1969 to 1973, after the Exacta business was acquired by Pentacon. Because, you know, there's really pretty much nothing more exciting than things made in 1973 in East Germany. That is truly the height of camera design and manufacture in the, in the Eastern Bloc. Of now, the former Soviet Union. So, is, now then, as this this lens, as this camera, this RTL thousand that um, that I'm really sold on. Oh, are you sure that's that's the exact amount. I mean, yeah, I can't, I can't see it without the. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's not. I obvious. see a picture. It's ex- it's exact amount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got the little lever. Right, right, and and so the exact FE two thousand that Simon was. Uh, referring to this is how here's how bad here's how bad this product is okay um <laughs> it 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 was also so sold rebadged as a petri because the petri <laughs> slrs with the proprietary amount weren't bad enough right that they had this camera come out in the 1970s when they were already like a totally dead company so yeah, they're all East German bollocks. All of the, all of this stuff. It doesn't look that bad. I mean, it's got cool accessories. There's a metered prism finder. What there. the two thousand? No, no, yeah. no. The, the, hey, no, no. The RTL thousand. We were, that's that's. Oh yeah, the RTL thousand. Yeah, look at that. Look at the inspiring front sliding plastic shutter button. I mean, does that not give you? Ooh. Oh, I was gonna ask, what is that thing on the front? Yeah. <laughs> That's the shutter button? Yeah, does that not give you... Ooh. Doesn't it? Doesn't it just do it for what's, you? What's the thing that says 8 and then, like, 42 underneath? Is that a self-timer? There's uh, a lever under the shutter. 
Yeah, I, be- I, I believe so. I can't remember. I've tried to erase all memory of that camera it's from my. Does it do? F- is that ISO? Perhaps that's ISO. Is no, ISO is on the top near the rewind oh, okay. dial. I can see that. Okay, but there's yeah. a lever under the shutter which looks like a self timer. It says eight and forty two. Does that mean this thing does a forty two second self timer? No. Hold on a second. I think Mike Ekman. I think I think I think what we can establish in here, it, you know, it has got extra buttons and levers, which means it's a better camera. Yeah, oh, yeah, here, Mike, Mike Ekman wrote, I think he, I don't know if he, this is the one I gave him, but Mike Ekman has a review of the RTL 1000. So it's out there, folks. Okay, I'm going I'm to watch this. There's, there's one sitting there. Oh. Nobody's put any bids on it. It's sitting there at 20 pounds at the moment with a with a, uh, an Oriston they should on gi- it as well. They should give you 20 pounds for wait, taking wait. that camera <laughs> off their hands. <laughs> So I'm looking at the the manual right now, Simon. This thing that I think is the self timer that is not what it is. Um, what it is is the lever is the tensioning lever of the mechanism for low shutter speeds. Uh, so if you're using a, a shutter a slow shutter speed, you have to cock it twice um, and tension it. I guess the exactors are like that too, like the Varex and stuff. Um, and then there's another shutter speed setting knob for two to eight seconds. Um, and then there's a release knob of a preset timing mechanism, uh, which I think is a fancy way of saying self timer. So yeah, the uh, the camera is so good that you have to cock it twice. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. So you got a Mike, remo- uh, Mike, got a removable um, prism head as well. Well, yeah, you had to. I mean, it was a pro. It was a pro model camera. I mean, it had to compete with the other pro level cameras of the era. Now, didn't it? I mean, it, you know, if you're gonna, if you're on the fence, if you're on the fence between um, like a Nikon F2 and an RTL 1000, I mean, you damn well better be able to change prisms, right? <laughs> I'm- I guess I mean, you know, you you could really make a case for. I've done it. I'm I'm I've submitted an offer. You've sold it to me now. Uh, <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> and uh i mean it's got it's on it it starts at 20 pounds uh and amazingly no bids yet um the postage is reasonable and so i'm i'm just going to offer him what he's what he's asking for it as a minimum price i mean he can't possibly refuse that can he can i just read you one line from mike ekman's review of this it, camera it may, be, it may be too late now okay i was quote i was never able to get this camera to work properly which means i couldn't shoot any film in it closed quote so there you go your future future simon's new camera yeah well it's probably an exception isn't it you know know, there there are there are bad cameras out there you know and some Nikons don't work, some Leicas don't work, yeah. and all that kind of the, stuff. And the you know. only thing worse than an Exacta built after 1970 is an Exacta that's actually a Practica. So, you know, that's what you got here. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Mike. Mike does indeed have a review of the camera that I sent him. Uh, and he, funnily enough, he, I sent him a whole box full of things and he's got a picture of the box that has all these cameras in it that I sent him. So you guys can enjoy the history of this particular camera in Mike's review, if you like. Well, uh, Simon, I hope 
the one that you have just bought works uh, and that it makes your Biotar 75 experience worthwhile. Oh, I, I, well, I've only made an offer, so who, who knows? I'm, I'm, Would you like another quote from Mike's article? Yeah, go for it. <laughs> quote, unlike most metal blade shutters of the day made by precision companies like Copal, the RTL 1000 shutter was developed in-house and was prone to failure. Close quote. I was going to say the shutter looks really weird. Yeah. Um, it's, it, <laughs> it does look like someone just stuck a few pieces of metal together. That's pretty much how it feels when you use the camera, too. <laughs> there you go. Uh, <laughs> well, you're going to come full circle and, and get a uh, get a Top Gun. Top Gun R. Do it. Top Gun R. When I can get one of these for maybe 20 pounds, then you know, it'll be rude not to, wouldn't it? Yeah, fair enough. Okay, uh, forget the Nick Lau discussion. I think I'm done with my pile of lenses and cameras in front of me. I don't know how that drove us to the exact RTL 1000, but oh, um, and and if it if it does suck, uh, I don't know. Maybe you can throw it in with the uh, the, Ray, the Rainox pile. If? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, win. Yeah, win a wet on wet boker. <laughs> Raynox 135 and an RTL 1000. Um, yeah, it's it's getting better and better, isn't it? Right then. So, oh, uh, shall we shall we head over to Chicago now and, uh, and and see what's been happening in the new world, Johnny? Uh, not not much. I mean, I you know I've been feeling like like garbage, but you guys got me all worked up over this RTL 1000. So. Um, <laughs> I have more energy right now. I'm ready to have a. I'm ready to. I'm ready to down a half a bottle of Malort and just have a fight right now. So, that's a good thing, I guess. Um. <laughs> uh, that you know that Venn diagram of hey buddy, like it's the thing you say when you. Um, I can't remember all parts of the Venn diagram, but one is you know when you meet a a new dog. Uh, the the other is when you're about to start a bar fight, and I can't remember what the other one is, but it, they all start with "Hey, buddy." Um. Uh. Anyway, uh, what's going on in Chicago? It's sunny. It's Saturday. Um, and that's about all I've got. It's sunny and it's Saturday in Chicago. And I'm still looking at the RTL 1000, and I'm just angry that it exists. So, have you got any kind of updates on central camera? Right. Speaking of things that are totally effed right now, after our RTL 1000 discussion, um, <laughs> uh, I, well, I, the only updates I have is that the fundraiser, I think they've broken the $200,000 line, Mark. On the nice. fundraiser, yeah, which is amazing. So thank you for everyone there. We've sold in excess of 350 T-shirts in a couple of weeks, which also adds to that. So thank you for that as well, for all that support. We've had lots of you know, messages and well wishes and all that's been amazing. Um, and I know, that the, uh, I know that Don, I think, is going to be – he sent me a message last night that he's going to be over at the shop today, actually. I need to call him. Uh, so they're doing – I know that they're doing cleanup today and salvage of anything that might be salvageable, which I really don't know what 
that's going to entail um, uh, because of the smoke, smoke, anything that didn't probably get directly burned or water damaged is probably smoke damaged pretty badly. Um, but anyway, they're going to, I think they're going to be over there doing some salvage today, um, which I guess you got to do no matter what, just to get the space cleaned out. Um, what else? Oh, um, and you know, things that were looted from the stop shop are starting to turn up online. <laughs> so we've had a few messages sent to us of, uh, people of the moronic persuasion, uh, posting these things on Craigslist and let go and what have you, um, that still have the tags from central camera on them. Oh so, yeah. So, uh, way to go. Criminal brain power, brain trusts. Um, give it to your girlfriend so she can fence it for you on, uh, on Craigslist and, and, you know, don't bother taking the tags off. That's fine. And, um, just FYI, the FBI is investigating the case. So good for you. It's now a federal crime that you're involved in. Uh, so yeah, enjoy, have fun. Um, so, uh, yeah, but that's the, that's kind of the the interesting thing that's going on here, I guess, related to the whole thing. And then somebody else wrote, uh, wrote in and said, I saw the email cause he wrote to the, the t-shirt shop and he said that there were some lenses that he found in a dumpster that had central camera tags on them. Um, but they were like, they were like Sigma zooms from the nineties. So I was like, yeah, just keep them, you know, uh, <laughs> that's where they belonged in the first place. Um, uh, but yeah, so the, there, you know, there's little bits and pieces of that stuff kind of out there floating around apparently. So that the ad that I saw, uh, uh, on this let go site was a, for a cambo wide which was a real we had this cambo wide in the you know in the showcase window which i man i personally really wanted that thing because it was just cool as hell uh so it was a, the cambo wide four by five um with the the lens and the viewfinder on it um and it, and it had still had the tags on it and they wanted like you know half the price shown on the tag because you know when you've looted it it's all it's all profit after that Aside from, I guess, the gas that you spent to drive downtown to do your looting. Um, so, uh, yeah. Don't know so, what came, came of that stuff, but that's what's going on. So it sounds like some of these um, looters are quite savvy if they're dumping Sigma Zooms from the 90s and selling large format stuff. Yeah, or do you well, think they're just looking at the price tag and making a decision based on that? Yeah, I think they probably figured out that... They're, there was no reason to try to sell something that wasn't worth anything. Um, Usually the giveaway on the Sigma zoom is that the, the, the focus and zoom rings start to stick to your fingers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Well, some of these were, <laughs> some of these were still like new in the box. They were yeah, just so like that, that, that new old stock. That problem. <laughs> no, it doesn't. That's true. It doesn't at all. Um, uh, but yeah, it's like the, one of those things, like, I guess when you're in a rush looting, you just kind of take everything and then sort it out later. Um, so, you know, they got, they got a lot of, a lot of garbage like that. <laughs> so, but Hey, that's just how it goes. I mean, looting, looting ain't easy. 
and I think this also proves that I don't think we're ever going to do that episode on vintage zoom lenses. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the lens would be pretty awesome if you had like a, you know, an EOS 2000. It might be a pretty awesome lens to have on your EOS 2000. It'll weigh more than the camera and have more metal in it. Not very inspiring, however. Even if you got it for free in your looting rampage, it's not very inspiring. So that's pretty much the, the, the update from here, as far as I got it. Okay. Well, I think the, uh, uh, the, 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 the big news from my side, side of things is I finally uh, got the images back from uh, the roll of film that uh, Perry sent to me, a roll of uh, Portra 160. Um, Hooray! 120 film. Um, and most of these, I think I actually finished shooting it sometime in January or February or some, something like that when the world was normal. And um, and I think some actually go back to last autumn as well. Um, but uh, yeah, so the medalist, um, the 6 six by 9 camera with the amazing or allegedly amazing uh, Kodak Ektar lens with a Helio formulation. And my my absolute worst fears came true uh, about that camera uh, because I absolutely truly hated using it. It was horrible. Um, quite possibly that it just doesn't work as well as it should do um, uh, because the, 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 the shutter button, you seem to have to put too much force on the shutter button and then you think, oh, nothing's going to happen. And then just as you're just about to take the pressure off it because nothing's happening, it takes the shot if you're ready for it or not, you know, so it's, 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 it's just hard work. Um, and, uh, so yeah, got the pictures back and they were really good. <laughs> you know, um, I've got a, a, a picture of Jeremy North, um, which, um, people have commented that, you know, what a great picture of Jeremy North. Um, and, uh, then there was, uh, Graham Jago from the, uh, uh, Sunday 16 podcast uh, sitting standing or sitting next to him as well that was looking good as well and then I, I, I was up in um, a place called New Brighton near Liverpool uh, earlier this year on an absolutely awful day um, but I was up there on, 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 on business and I met up with uh, um, with Stigger the Dump from Twitter fame and we uh, we met up and uh, we had, had a walk around the weather was awful absolutely awful and uh yeah it was the the rain was coming down sideways it was really windy and so on and so on and um but i just i took a few snaps and um and two of them were of this um of rain of you know, a, a, well a storm cloud really just opening up over liverpool with the sun uh behind it and at the time when i actually took the shot i thought eh, yeah this might be worth it and then i got the photos back and they were great i mean they're super moody and um and uh, yeah so i mean i turned turned one of them into into black and white because it it, I, it didn't really work particularly well in color um, but the other one um was in really muted colors and it was uh, blues and uh, yellows and uh, um and it was a really super moody shot and i just love it i mean i cropped it I, I cropped it very wide, which I think uh, is wholly appropriate with the six by nine frame anyway. And mm -hmm. um, yeah, it was it, it really it really delivered. It really did. 
They look really good. Um, the shot of uh, Jeremy North and, and Graham. Uh, I mean, it really looks like that lens is, and that film are just so nice for people shots. So, you know, well done. It took you only, what, half a year to uh, shoot and process that role? Yeah. Yeah. Actually, longer, I think. Uh. <laughs> totally reasonable. Yeah. I mean, totally reasonable. Yeah. I mean, the, the film had been... Um, I finished the roll off and then we we developed it at the uh the six times darkroom and then um uh josh who runs a uh oh, i wish i could remember his name of his company now um he runs a uh he's a member of the club but he's also just set up a business uh developing film and scanning film and he took it away with him and and then covid hit and we just sort of forgot all about it and then i, I got a nudge from somebody like saying you've have you got the got the uh the medley's pictures yet and so i gave uh josh a nudge and uh he got he got them scanned for me and um it's it, 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 it's it's one of those things you know the, the the pictures were that good i want i want to use it again now um especially on on, on people although the, yeah the landscape stuff was was good and they would have been stopped down a little bit but certainly the the shots of uh jeremy and uh graham um, they were wide open. I can remember specifically I wanted to shoot them wide open and that was also why I went out with the 160 film as well instead of uh, because I had some 400 as well. Uh, but I thought now I'll, I'll go with the with the with the slower film to give me a chance of being able to shoot wide open which well I had more than a chance because it was an absolutely horrible day. It was cold and it never really got bright um, yet the you know the, the, the look of the shots that have come back um, look really good. I think it was. I'm not sure if it was my the way I was um, using my light meter, or whether the shutter's probably slightly a little bit slow, um, because I think the shots are a little bit overexposed. Um, but you know, with portrait, that's one of the things you can you can do. I mean, they've, they've certainly the colours have gone more towards the pastel rather than the pop. Mm -hmm. So, and I think that's an overexposed look. Yeah, um, is that correct? Yeah. So, yeah. But I really like that look. I thought I, th I think it's it's a really really beautiful look. Yeah, it's great for people. Yeah, it's it's perfect for people shots. It makes skin and everything just look nice and warm and lovely. And you know, it, the other thing that's interesting is just if you were shooting that wide open, it looks like focusing and nailing focus was a breeze, even on as fast moving a subject as Jeremy North. <laughs> yeah uh, well that, that that's that's one of the odd, odd things about the about that camera because it it works it's as close to being well it, it's very similar to using an slr um and you because the, the you look through a, a centrally mounted um viewfinder but within the viewfinder you've also got the range finder but it, you don't have a range finder patch in the same way as you do with uh you know a, a lycra or or most rangefinders full stop you've actually got um a split screen instead um so you've and even then you you you've got a small viewfinder and then underneath it there's there's a a, a focusing prism um uh -huh. and you you horizontally align things um so it, it's uh it's a it's a so you've got a separate a separate viewing screen and a separate rangefinder screen but you see them through the same place um, and you just have to like look downwards to to see the uh, to see the rangefinder uh, uh, in action. So it's it's intuitive and it's annoying at the same time. Um, but it seemed that it, it it worked. It was a bit dim, but it, it absolutely did the job. Was it as dim as a Topcon? Dimmer, even dimmer. 
far dimmer than a top gun even yeah absolutely but then again it was dirty as well uh, it doesn't even okay clean. so all right uh, fair, fair, fair. A, a clean a clean top com and it is top top com is dim. <laughs> you know so um what, what can we say um, is that the only medium format lens um, widely available that's a Heliar design? Uh, I can't think of any others. Uh, and that's no, a really good use case for it. I mean, obviously the Voigtlanders. Yeah, I, I mean for a, for an SLR, not on a folder. Oh, for an SLR. Ooh, I mean, yeah. Well, I don't think there's any on any SLR. Apart from the one I'm using is my webcam, and that's on 35 mil. And that's the only one for the thirty-five mil. Um, yeah, yeah. But I can't. Well, I guess. I guess I'm thinking non-folder because you could rip that lens off of the metalist, right? And and you know, I guess you could do the same with folders. But I guess what I'm asking is, is there anything like that lens that isn't on that body <laughs> or on think, a folder? I, I don't think so. I can't think of any off the top of my head either. It's it's pretty unique. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you're stuck with Simon. Yeah, I mean, a part of it is thinking, well, if this thing just doesn't work at all, then I can rip the lens off, but I can't now. Um, but yeah, hel heliars are, are, are more common as portrait lenses on large format. Um, yeah. So there's, uh, there's, although, again, they, they're all old, but, um, but yeah, they, 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 they very much, they, they, the, uh, at the more expensive end of the uh, large format lenses, uh, very desirable. Um, so, other other things. I've I've uh, I've won a few things at auction there this week, which I'll be picking up next week, including a uh, an M forty two Biotar. Uh, don't know how many aperture blades it's got or anything like that. Uh, but I've also picked up a Contrex camera, um, not because I um, no Contaflex. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Come back down. Come back down. No, don't get excited. <laughs> No, Contaflex, and uh, the reason the reason why I've got that is because I've I've got lens caps for the um, a lens cap design for the lenses or so-called lenses, which is it's just like the the front cell that pops in and out of them. Um, but I'm going to get the, the camera body as well, so I'm going to be able to make the lens caps for the uh, the body and uh, the the uh, the lenses uh, for Contrex. So I'm quite excited about so you, that. So you so so just to be clear, you've bought that essentially just to use as a design aid to make lens caps exactly and, and the body which, cap yeah which obviously is the best reason to buy that camera oh yeah yeah that would be the best reason to buy that camera I, yeah yeah yeah. i yeah. have no intention of using it at all yeah no. <laughs> in fact i've been following broken cameras for some time on on, on ebay um but uh, even though they're broken, the, you know, I, I still think I'm not paying that much for one. You know, I mean, I, I might only sell three caps. <laughs> so I'm still right. losing my money on it. You know, so, uh, so you got to break even here. I exactly, mean, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> you gotta, you have to at least cover your costs. Yeah, it takes hours to make these things. So, yeah. Uh, so yeah. So yeah. Um, so yeah. So looking looking forward to that. But the big the big thing that's happened uh, for me, at least in the last. A uh, few days um, is actually to do with my other podcast, which is the Large Format Photography Podcast, where where we had uh, Clyde Butcher uh, as our uh, our guest, and um, many people listening to this would know exactly who I'm talking about, but it's uh, but many people won't. And uh, Clyde is one of the uh, probably one of the most famous large format uh, fine art ph photographers in the world uh, today, um, and. 
he looks like a large format photographer as well. You know? <laughs> he's, uh, he's got the beard, he's got the big hat. Um, but one of the things that um, makes uh, Clyde uh, different from most large format photographers, when you see a picture of him, is quite often waist deep or, uh, uh, or even higher in water uh, in the Everglades. Um, because he'll uh, get out of a boat or he'll walk to somewhere where it's, I don't know, five foot deep or something like that, set his yeah. tripod up and then take these incredible uh, large format shots of, uh, of, of the scenery down there. And he would, Anthony knows him, right? I would imagine so. We've not actually spoken, but it, it, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I think he think he does. Yeah. I mean, certainly it's somebody that um, Carl and I had had conversations about yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Back, back in the day. And uh, I know that Carl wanted to go and visit him because that's the thing. You can go and actually stay, um, stay there. He's got, he's got a, uh, like an education center um, to uh, show people about the, uh, the Florida Everglades and uh, why mm. it needs protecting and, uh, and 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 so on and it's a you know he talks about it on 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 the show and it's a, it's 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 fasc it's a fascinating place but the other thing about uh, about Clyde though is uh, he's recently moved over towards digital because you know he's 79 and he's had a stroke you know so walking around with a, a backpack with large format uh, gear or wading through the Everglades um, is not so uh, it's not so practical for him these days I mean mm. he still does it though it hasn't stopped him but it uh, but he's um, he's now uh, we, we had a, a long chat uh, both on the podcast and then after the podcast finished um, about his like a monochrome uh, m10 monochrome uh, camera and uh, to say he's in love with that camera is is an understatement. I mean, he 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 really really loves that camera, and yeah. uh, and he 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 tells some stories of uh, or a story about uh, sending uh, a negative a digital negative to to his printer. Was he he's famous for printing his own large format prints? You know, he can he he can make eight foot wide prints uh, in his own studio. Uh, yeah, the uh, the old-fashioned way but he, he doesn't do them doesn't do the the digital ones yeah because like like any um top top photographer you know it doesn't make you a great printer and he is a top photographer and a great wet stroke darkroom printer but he knows that he hasn't got all the skills that he would need to do where uh, you know the the very best quality digital print so he sends sends those off and uh, they've done this palladium prints i think somewhere in california and uh the the printer there was just absolutely blown away with the with the negatives that, that he was getting uh from from clyde in terms of like tonality uh, mm. because it does not behave like a digital a normal digital camera and um, so the, the the different tones and shades you can actually get with that camera um, are far in excess of just starting off with a, a color image and then turning it into into black and white. Um, and uh, I mean, Perry, that's a, that's a, a camera you've sort of had a bit of an eye on in in in, in the past, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I was going to ask you for the if, if you didn't provide it for the executive summary of what he liked about it because yeah the Leica the Leica M monochrome series you know I, I wonder if it takes someone like um like him to really appreciate it because you know he's making prints right and large prints yeah and I and I have wondered whether if you're just viewing on a screen or viewing digital whether an M monochrome is actually that much noticeably 
um, you know, more rich in its tonality than say something that you've just converted to black and white. Right. Um, because well, I know that. Yeah. I was going to say the, the answer is definitely yes. Um, and he, he does go into, I mean, it's, it's, it's worth, it's yeah. worth having a listen to this because he, he goes into quite some detail as, as to what it does differently to, um, how a normal sensor works compared to, uh, uh how that particular sensor works. So that, yeah. that, uh, that those range of tones are, are definitely different, but yeah, I, I think I agree with, agree with you, Perry. If you, if all we were doing is sharing these things on Facebook, would we see that, that difference? And the answer is no. Um, but when you're when you're printing things you know truly massively uh, and yeah. if you're you know a world-renowned black and white photographer that prints enormous prints and knows exactly what those prints should look like then mm-hmm. uh, then yes i'm pretty sure you are going to see those differences yeah because that's the thing with the monochrome sensor right it, it doesn't have like a buyer array so it you know you get all everything from the the better sensitivity to much higher resolution, but I but the the raw files I've seen from the monochrome series, you know, naturally they're a lot more flat because they have all that tonal information, right? So to to me, I I've only seen them on screen, and and I I can't say that you know I I can see a huge difference, but exactly as you say, if you know what you're doing, you can probably turn those raw files into something a lot richer than you could from like a regular raw file. Right, absolutely, and uh, um, but do do have a li- have a listen to that because he, he explains yeah. it far better well. than than, uh, than than I can there. But uh, but also uh, you know, in in there, there was a, a, a few conversations about um, thirty five millimeter lenses, and uh, um, and after we actually finished, and this was you know after after the recording, I then carried on talking to him, and uh, and when we were chatting about adapting um, enlarger lenses. Uh, to his monochrome, and um, and how and how how to do that, you know, and he's and he's, oh, yeah. he's, and he's adapting uh, uh, RZ RZ lenses uh, to, to 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 cameras. He's he's a he's a he's a proper proper uh, classic lens guy. So, uh, so which was so what was his favorite thirty five millimeter lens? Um, well, the ones he uses the most are actually Canon tilt shift. So modern modern EOS tilt shift. Uh, lenses which he uses on his gfx he's got a gfx 50 and a gfx uh-huh. 100 and he's using the tilt shift lenses on those uh because mm-hmm. obviously a t- sorry yeah they are tilt shift they're not just shift um the beauty of those is of course is they have a larger image circle than the conventional 35 millimeter lens anyway yeah, yeah. Um, and so you pop those onto a um uh onto a gfx which isn't that much larger than uh, than than full frame and it it covers it covers it fine mm-hmm. and you still get to do the the large format style movements on it as well yeah that makes sense that's it and uh and he's also worked out um how to change the aperture uh on those uh electronic aperture lenses um because generally speaking he, he i think he shoots everything at i think it's either f12 or f16 um and uh so he makes it sets it up on the camera to f16 then takes it off the camera uh probably while it's actually yeah, in, yeah. in mid shot and then he just yeah. locks locks the aperture in place yeah, the, the way you would do that is you just uh, press the depth of field button on the Canon SLR and then take the lens off and it'll stay. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. But I think he's, he's, I think he's actually doing it off an adapter uh, to do that. I couldn't quite, didn't quite get what he was doing, but he's doing it. He knows what he's doing. So uh, we didn't, didn't push that one. Cool. So, uh, so yes, that, that was pretty much highlighting my week, really, I think. 
Nice. That's that's awesome. Yeah, actually, another, uh, uh, I'm going to do a shout out now as well uh, because I think that's where we're heading now, anyway, isn't it? So um, uh, I just want to shout, uh, give a shout out to Mike Gutterman of the uh, Negative Positives uh, podcast because uh, um, he. Uh, uh, took delivery of a couple of my lens caps for evalu- evaluation for the Pentax 67. Um, so uh, and uh, so gave me some really good feedback on there. So uh, thanks for that, Mike. And uh, um, I'll be uh, working on those two and releasing them soon. So thank you very much. Um, so uh, guys, have we got anything else we want to talk about? Hello, oh, I'm yawning. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, and it's late in Hong Kong as well. So, uh, Perry, have you got any shout-outs? Do I have any shout-outs? Uh, yeah, I, I guess another quick shout-out to Mike Epstein for, uh, you know, keeping keeping me company while we're both kind of like in, in scheduling chaotic limbo uh, and going out and shooting. Um, I think that's it. Okay, Johnny? I uh, just again want to thank all the people who have. Oh, I'm having a yawn and a stretch. Oh, uh, right. Um, all the people who have uh, sent well wishes and donations, et cetera, et cetera, for Central Camera. Um, and uh, people who have sent me well wishes, thank you very much. And I guess that's about it right now. Yeah. I've just, I just just noticed through the uh, the the wonder of high technology, um, and also looking through uh, Johnny's red filter. Um, oops, stop. Um, Johnny, you got a you got a tattoo on your arm. Is that a tattoo? Is that showing somewhere? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, saw, I saw it earlier too. I have a I have a few of those. Yeah. Yeah, well, well done. Uh, say, not, not that I have any, but there you go. Um, <laughs> just caught my eye there. Um, okay. Um, right. Well, on the subject of uh, raising money, uh, we've had two donations since we were last on. Uh, both of those are recurring donations from uh, James Thorpe and Brian Woolworth. So thank you both for those. I just realized we were going to do emails, but no, let's, uh, let's, let's, let's do those another time, including the one from Barry Carr that we've been haven't read out for weeks and weeks and weeks. So we will get to that one, Barry. Um, so yes, Simon, fact, yeah. Uh, sorry, just when you're done wrapping up the coffee part, I, I do remember one shout out that I, I want to throw out as well. Okay. Okay. That's it. Well, I've now wrapped up that part apart from the fact that uh, any donations that come through uh, to us this week are going to be forwarded onto the, um, to the camp, the campaign on GoFundMe for, uh, central camera. So, um, if you do wish to help out with central camera, if that's a cause that you want to support, um, I think it's best if you go straight to GoFundMe. But if you can't and you want to, um, donate it to us and we'll donate it over. Um, okay, so let's head back to Perry. Uh, a quick shout out from me to Nick Lyle, um, where we, we got kind of entangled in this, like just two person long thread conversation about Bronica S2. Uh, he's doing some kind of crazy speed graphic lens board um thingy that you know the kind of thing that he always does and that thread i don't for anyone who has a bronica s or bronica s2 that thread is super interesting because he learns a couple of things about that lens mount from me i learned a couple of things about that lens mount from him but one thing i learned from him is it might be possible to use the helical um on that camera to adapt other lenses to the bronica s2 because the lenses 
it's almost like a, a SLR version of the like a Hasselblad's version of the Contax 2 because the focusing helicoid and the lens are separate on that camera. And so he seems to have found a mechanism inside the helicoid where there's a thread that you could then attach other lenses and focus. And I think that's super cool. And I've never seen anyone do that before. So that's neat. Yeah. Nice. And, and does that have a, so has that got a focal plane shutter on that? Uh, hold on, let me grab it. Yes. Um, <clears throat> right here. Uh, it's, it's right here. It's, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's gone. Um, just, no, just no, no, it's okay. I was going to say, just for the sake of uh, some of our listeners, when I asked if it's got a focal plane shutter, I'm, I'm, the reason why I'm asking that is because many of these uh, medium format cameras use a leaf shutter, um, so the the, uh, the shutter's in the lens, whereas a focal plane shutter is at the back, just in front of the film plane, um, and that means that you can use lenses that don't have a built-in shutter. Um, but, yes. uh, but things like a Hasselblad, or well, the, the main... Uh, iconic Hasselblad like the uh, the 500cm um, you can't really use other lenses because it's designed to have its shutter in the lens itself so it doesn't have a, a yeah. focal plane shutter like a conventional camera that we know of at the back so it does um, if you can see it on the screen here the back comes off just like a Hasselblad back uh, by pressing in the dark slide the shutter is here so it's absolutely a focal plane shutter right at the back Yeah. Uh, and then when you take the lens off, it's a very conventional SLR, you know, with a giant mirror. Um, sounds like a thunderclap when you fire it. But the cool thing that Nick was talking about is this is the lens, and it focuses in this helical. But then the thing that he couldn't figure out was how to get the lens out. And there's actually a button when you put it at minimum focus that takes the lens out of the helical. Awesome. Um, and so you can put all the – I've got uh, most of the Nikkor lenses for this system. So they all just mount into this helical, and then there's multiple markings on the focus scale for different focal lengths. But what he noted is, I have to look at this more closely, but he, he said something about a thread. Oh, yeah, there's a thread inside the bit. There's a thread inside this mm -hmm. helical mount. And so he was saying if you could get a M57 or whatever it is um, converter and stick it inside the thread, then rather than using the bayonet mount inside the helical, you could screw lenses and attach them into here and then basically oh shit i've just touched the shutter but whatever um and basically just put this onto the camera uh and use it to focus whatever lens you've adapted yeah no that, that, that's that, that's really cool and the other the other thing there is you could you could easily adapt um things like uh projection lenses into yeah. there and just just wrap something around the diameter of the of the projection lens assuming that the you can get you can get the lens um in in into the into that uh, that aperture and then just just fill fill the rest of it up with something i use foam and things like that and uh that that'd be really cool yeah the nice thing too is the mirror is really far back in this camera i don't, I don't know if you can really see that but it's really really far back like i can sort of shove most of my finger in there and not touch the mirror um, so you do have a lot of space with these lenses because this lens, it sticks out that much and it doesn't touch the mirror. Yeah. So uh, that, that was, that's just, you know, if you have any interest in this camera or this system, um, go check out that thread. Cause it's, it's super, super cool. I had no idea you could do stuff like that. Yeah. And you're welcome, Nick, for dismounting the lens. Yeah. Okay. No, okay. that's, that's, so that's, that's super cool. 
Okay. Well, uh, let's let's start to uh, do the final wrap up then. Um, Perry, outside of this podcast, where people where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Instagram and Flickr at Perry G. And Johnny. Um, you can find me on Instagram and get in the queue for the next biannual queue approval to follow me on Instagram, uh, which will be happening, um, I think, in 2022. <laughs> I know that on, the, uh, on Instagram, uh, Cloud Surfer um, on, on Instagram, um, he was bragging about being part of the latest intake. And uh, <laughs> I think he was actually offering offering out his services to to let people know what it is that you're putting onto his Instagram account that can't see it. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I hope he's making some money off of that. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. So, and then while you're on Instagram, uh, visit Best Vintage Lens. Is that st- that's still around, right? It is. It's still still going. Unfortunately, still going. Ricardo, Ricardo is, uh, is is a lot busier than he used to be. Hence, why uh, um, yeah, there, there aren't any more pithy reviews uh, trying of our to podcast uh, going pawn it off. That's yeah, it. I sent somebody. Um, but they have a few new moderators for Best Vintage Lens, uh, yeah. and the pictures that they've been featuring lately are, um, let's say, more diverse uh, than they used to be. So it's kind of cool. Excellent. No, that's good. Oh, holy crap. I just saw there's this picture on uh Flickr. What's the Flickr? Is that oh it's still around. Um there's this picture on Flickr of a Bronica S2 with a tilt shift bellows on it. And it looks freaking rad. Wow. Is it that's a native one, right? I think they did make a yeah, it, like, it's, crazy it's, it's made, system for it. Yeah, it's made made for the system, but Jesus, there you go. There's another adapting, uh, another truly incredible adapting option. Wow. Damn. I hope the person who uh, looted Bronca S2 out of the shop window at Central Camera is going to get one of these. Because it would make a really nice addition to that S2 outfit. (laughs) All right. Um, Emails. Emails. If people want to email them, we'll eventually read them out. Yep. Um... Classic Lenses Podcast at gmail.com. Um, podcast website, Classic Lenses Podcast.com. Um, and show notes are there. Classic Lenses Podcast on Facebook, Classic Lenses Podcast on YouTube, which you can go and watch the episodes that are on video, but you won't be able to see the video. You'll just be able to see the captions of the speaking so there's that yeah um and um that pretty much wraps her all up okay i'll uh, for for me i'm on twitter as simon four i'm on instagram as simon forster photographic which is also the name of my website uh simon forster photographic.co.uk where uh, that's one of the ways that you can buy some of my amazing lens caps uh, that i i have at the moment uh, i also have an ebay shop as well which you can find my uh, lens caps on ebay uh ben kuto uh, the kuto camera company in um, uh, the state of massachusetts is also uh, producing my lens caps for those people in north america to make it a bit easier for them to get hold on as well uh, he can be found on uh, ebay as well um i think that's just about it isn't it uh, yeah 
So music uh, was by uh, Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and I hope you enjoyed this week's show and if you can, be like Carl. <laughs>